Well, good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon. <laughs> uh, it really is a privilege uh, to present the gospel to you today and actually to invite you all home. It's such a good feeling to have a place to call home, uh, our spiritual home, and to christen um, this place. And it's great to have old friends and new join us here today. What we're going to do today is continue in our new series about the vision and core values that define us and move us here at Metro Presbyterian Church. And being gospel-centered is our central foundational value, as we've heard again and again. It's, it's what we live in line with, and it's, uh, in essence, that the gospel changes everything. We've heard that the gospel is a proclamation of victory, but it's also a celebration of good news, and that's something that we're going to delve into even more today. The gospel is how we plug in our individual life stories, as well as the story of us as a community, uh, into the epic of God's redemption. So today's passage, the parable of the lost son, is an opportunity for us to look at that process. The passage is a familiar one to many of us. Um, Though it's been passed on to us since Jesus' time, it really started to take a hold of the popular imagination through art since the Middle Ages and the Renaissance. Numerous paintings and works of stained glass um, were commissioned to tell the story, the tale of the return of the prodigal son. But as beautiful as these paintings have been, the tales were often incomplete. There was more to the story. So as we walk through the parable of the lost sons today, I'd like to highlight three key points uh, that will challenge your conventional views of, of this parable and what it means for us to live in line with the gospel. First, what it means to be lost, what it means to be found, and what it means, uh, the implications of this, what it means to be a community of the lost and found, what it means to be lost, what it means to be found, and what it means to be a community. So let me set the stage for this parable. So who was there when Jesus was telling this parable? Verse 1 tells us the tax collectors and sinners were gathering to hear Jesus. Now at that time, Israel was under Roman occupation. Tax collectors were essentially Jewish collaborators collecting taxes on behalf of Rome. But in addition to that, they were taking a cut for themselves. So you can imagine they were despised by their fellow countrymen. They're getting ripped off by their own, um, by their own countrymen. So in addition to the tax collectors, we have these sinners. Now these sinners essentially had rejected religious authority in their lives. Sinners have been living life apart from, um, but they were essentially irreligious. Now who else was there around Jesus? The religious establishment. They were called the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who considered themselves morally upright and superior to, those, uh, to these sinners. In fact, they wanted to have nothing to do with these sinners so they could maintain their moral superiority. The religious establishment held these sinners in contempt. And as we see in verse 2, that they were muttering to themselves. Now, what were they muttering? They were muttering that Jesus was making friends with these sinners. Jesus was sharing life with them and eating with them. Now, unlike today, back in those days, eating together was a huge deal. It wasn't just a casual manner, a casual matter. In that culture, eating together was a tremendous sign of friendship. So the religious establishment couldn't come to grips with the fact that Jesus was making friends with sinners. So it was in this context that Jesus tells us the sequence of, of parables, including today's parable about a man who had two sons. This parable is often known as the parable of the prodigal son. Now the lostness of this prodigal son, that is the younger son, is well known. In pop culture, 
Every recent generation seems to have a band or a, a group that brings this, brings this story to life through music. For the baby boomers of our parents' generation, and I see a couple of you out there, there was the Rolling Stones, and they sang a song entitled The Prodigal Son. For Gen Xers, we have a diverse group of, of bands ranging from Iron Maiden to Kid Rock singing about the prodigal son. But the song that's spoken to me recently and given voice to my own lostness as a younger son was something that just came out a year ago, and it's entitled We Are Young, and it's by a band known as Fun. Let me read you just an excerpt from their lyrics. Tonight, we are young, so let's set the world on fire. We can burn brighter than the sun. Now, I know that I'm not all that you got. I guess that I, I just thought maybe we could find new ways to fall apart. But our friends are back, so let's raise a cup, because I found someone to carry me home. The world is on my side. I have no reason to run. So will someone come and carry me home tonight? It seems like every generation has an anthem for younger brothers. And the anthem goes something like this. I'm chafing under authority. You're cramping my style. You're not letting me realize my full potential. Get out of my way and just let me be. I don't need you. Jesus, using this parable, called it 2,000 years ago. He saw this coming. He knows the heart. He knows our condition. So if we see in verse 12, this is what the younger son demanded. Father, give me my share of the estate. Or put another way, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. Now at that time, if you recall, a demand like this was unheard of. Given that kind of culture, uh, where, where, the, where the, it was a patriarchal society, for a younger son to demand his inheritance, that was unheard of, it was scandalous, it was a shocker, because essentially what he was saying was, Father, I want you dead. I don't care about you. I don't care about a relationship. I just want what's mine. I want what's coming to me. The younger son had chafed under his father's authority in this parable. He wanted nothing to do with his father's love, his father's relationship, or his authority. He just wanted to have what was his so that he could live as he, as he, um, as he pleased. Now, even though such a demand would have been unheard of and even scandalous, what we see in the parable is that the father was gracious and gives the younger son the share of his estate. And after receiving his inheritance, we see in verse 13 that the younger son took off to a far distant country. Now, what's the meaning of this? Why is it important? As he wanted to be as far from his father's authority he wanted to be as far away from his father's circle of influence or his watchful eyes. He wanted to be away from his father's rules. And where could he go where he wouldn't be known as his father's son? So he went as far away as he could to this far and distant country. He wanted to go where his, love, where his money and his promiscuity could speak for him. And so he lived recklessly um, in, in wild living and seemingly without consequence. And, and we see in verse 14 the consequences when he squandered and spent everything. That is what it means actually to be prodigal. Unlike uh, many of us who, who, who grew up thinking that prodigal meant wayward, it, it means to have wasted extravagantly or to have spent everything. 
And so in verse 15, this younger son's lostness comes into sharp focus when we see him in this pigsty, having squandered absolutely everything. He's impoverished, and he's been brought to his knees by famine. Now in that culture, pigs were considered utterly unclean. And so not only the social elite, but the general population wanted to have nothing to do with pigs. And so for this younger son to find himself on his knees in the mud in this pigsty, he had hit absolute rock bottom. And to cap it off, verse 16 tells us that these friends that he was going to set the world on fire with, that the world that was on his side just moments ago, they were nowhere to be found. What we hear is no one gave him anything. So the younger son is lost. He's alienated. He's estranged from his father. And he's definitely a long way from home. I want to turn your attention to the lostness of the elder son. This is a passage of the parable that is often overlooked. Over centuries of art, centuries of music, there hasn't been an anthem for the elder brother. No songs have been written, no lyrics, no melodies to stir the heart about the, about the condition of the elder brother. Nothing to unite the elder brothers in shared experience or solidarity. But if there were an anthem, if there was a song to, to describe their condition, it would speak to some of these elements. Anger and resentment. The lostness of the elder brother is marked by anger and resentment because there's this underlying belief that we should earn or we, we should get what we earn or what we work we should get what we work for and so when we don't get that we get bent out of shape we see this in verse 28 in his anger rather than celebrating with the father on what should have been one of the happiest days of his life we see him consumed in anger because when things so when things go wrong in your life do you find yourself asking, or do you find yourself furious at God because he's not giving you what you think you've earned, because you've been good? Shouldn't good things happen to you because you've been obedient? Do you believe that the unspoken agreement, your bargain with God's been broken, that God's not holding up his end of the bargain? So in addition to anger and resentment, the lostness of the elder brother is also marked by what's called slavish obedience. And we see this in verse 29. The reason for being good for this elder brother, for obeying, is misplaced. It isn't to delight the father. It's out of a self-centered pursuit of a morally upright reputation. Yet another mark for for this elder brother is self-righteousness. And the self-righteousness expresses itself in an attitude of superiority, of being judgmental and unforgiving. We see this in verse 30. He doesn't even refer to his younger brother as a brother. He doesn't even acknowledge that. As he's speaking to his father, he calls him this son of yours that squandered your property. In his heart, what the elder brother is essentially saying to his younger brother is, you're dead to me. Now this stands in such stark contrast to what the father is conveying. What the father has in his heart is, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. The sad irony here is that rather than leading him closer to the father, the obedience of the elder brother is actually what's alienating from him. And although the elder brother had stayed under his father's roof, he's just as lost, if not more so, than the younger brother. And he's just as alienated, just as estranged from his father. In his heart, this elder brother is just as far away from home. 
Now, while there might not be an anthem for these elder brothers, there's nevertheless an artist who used his own life experiences and his paintbrush to bring to life the condition of not just the younger brother, but the elder brother as well. He was a Dutch master, uh, master painter named Rembrandt. And he considered, and many consider him to be the greatest European painter of all time. And this is what one commentator had to say about Rembrandt and his life, as well as his masterpiece painting called Return of the Prodigal Son. And this is what this commentator said. Rembrandt is as much the elder son of the parable as he is the younger. When during the last years of his life, he painted both sons in Return of the Prodigal Son, he had lived a life in which neither the lostness of the younger son nor the lostness of the elder son was alien to him. Both needed healing and forgiveness. Both needed to come home. Both needed the embrace of a forgiving father. But from the story itself, as well as from Rembrandt's painting, it is clear that the hardest conversion to go through is the conversion of the one who stayed home. What the commentator is saying is that as elder sons who had been dutiful, who had been obedient, who had followed the rules, who had lived under authority, we are often blind to our own lostness, blind to our need to be found, blind to our need to be forgiven and to be embraced. So when Jesus told this parable, it would have jolted the Pharisees and the moral establishment. It would have come as a shock to them, to them who were in the audience. They would have been shocked and even offended at this notion that even in the midst of all their moral obedience, they could be just as lost as, as those who were disobedient. Not only did it not make sense to them, but it was an outrage because it undermined the very notion of what it meant to be moral. So let me pause here for a moment to ask, do you recognize yourself in this parable? And given how much attention has been given to the younger son, it's really easy to fixate on identifying with the younger brother. But when life's not going your way, what gets you bent out of shape? Could it be that you are lost as an elder brother? Are you consumed by anger and resentment? Is that an undercurrent in your life, especially when things aren't going your way? Are your efforts to be good, to be moral, driven by a slavish obedience? Does your heart spill over with self-righteousness? Jesus uses this parable to teach us a full understanding of what it means to be lost, what it means to sin, in contrast to much of the artwork of the last several centuries where it just showed the story of the lost, uh, the lost prodigal son, Jesus uses this to teach us a full understanding. Sin is more than just breaking rules of do's and don'ts. And if that were all that sin entailed, the parable would have stopped with the younger son. But the parable speaks about the elder son who is moral, who is obedient, and yet is just as spiritually lost as the immoral younger brother. What rocked the world of those who heard Jesus is to recognize that sin is seeking to displace the authority of the Father in our lives and putting ourselves in place of God as Savior and Lord. Whether we are a younger son squandering our lives through hedonism or an elder son living without joy in legalism, we are lost. The anthem of the younger son, which many of us can relate to, is we are young. The anthem of the elder son could be we are good. But the chorus for both anthems is we are lost. So this brings me to my second point, what it means to be found. Both the younger and elder brothers 
represent two ways that people look to find their identities, to find their self-worth and meaning in their lives. What Jesus teaches through this parable is that both ways, being irreligious or religious, moral or immoral, lead to lostness. So who can free us from our lostness? Jesus told a sequence of three parables having to do with something that is lost. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and this parable of the lost sons. Now in the first two parables earlier in this chapter, someone is going to great lengths to look for what was lost. And so in listening to these parables together, the audience and we could expect someone to also search for the younger son. The expectation is that the elder brother, being his brother's keeper, would search for his lost younger brother and bring him home, even at cost to himself. When the father divided the inheritance, typically the elder brother gets about two-thirds of the estate and the younger brother gets a third of the estate. We know that this younger brother squandered everything he had and lost it. And so when the father wants to restore him to be a son with rights, that means that what the elder brother had had to get divvied up again. So for, him to be, for the younger son to be brought back home and restored, it would have cost the elder brother. In the, in the parable, the elder brother is unwilling to do that. He's consumed in anger, he's consumed with unforgiveness, and wants to have nothing to do with his younger brother. But this is the good news of the gospel. It's that we do have a true elder brother who restored us at his own expense. Our lostness isn't one that can be restored simply by a financial inheritance. Our lostness because of our sin comes at an infinite cost of Jesus' own life so that we could be brought back into God's family. The debt of our, the debt of our sin was alienation and estrangement from, from the Father. So as a son of God, Jesus was perfectly obedient. He was perfectly loved, perfectly delighted in. And yet, for our sakes on the cross... Jesus paid the price of someone who was utterly disobedient, utterly rejected. On the cross, Jesus was disowned by the Father so that we could be restored and belong again. Unlike either of the lost sons who chafed at living under the authority of the Father, under his rules, unlike these brothers who grasped one way or the other at the Father's estate, we're told that Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God to be something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of, man, of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. In the parable, what the younger brother and the elder brother did, it should have led to their being disowned by the father and being shunned by the community. But what we see in the parable is that this father extended grace to them, not because he was powerless, not because he was helpless, but because he was extravagant and lavish in his grace and his compassion. The Bible teaches us in Romans that God's kindness is what leads us to repentance. And we are cautioned not to show contempt for the riches of his kindness, his tolerance, and his patience. So as we look at the cross, we know that we're clothed with Jesus' righteousness with the robe of his dignity, with the robe of his majesty. And he took on the cross the rags of our disobedience, our shame, our guilt. So we are found because of the Father's kindness. 
as we see that extended to the younger son in verse 20. God, the father, ran, threw his arms around him, kissed him, restored him. And in, like, and in, uh, and in, in a similar way, he also shows kindness to the elder son, being compassionate with him, pleading with him to share in his joy. In addition to the father's kindness, we're found because of the costly sacrifice of Jesus, our true elder brother. So in view of the father's kindness and the costly sacrifice of our true elder brother, our repentance from our sin needs to go deeper than just regret for individual uh, sins or the pride in our good deeds. We need to own up to and turn from this deep-rooted sin of seeking to be our own Savior and Lord, of seeking to find our own self-worth apart from the Father. What we hear is that we are lost without the Father. So how does the gospel change us when we are found? As one prominent preacher puts it, selfless love destroys the mistrust in our hearts toward God that make us either younger or elder brothers. As a younger brother, mistrust towards God causes us to want to set the world on fire and find our self-worth and our identities in our own handiwork, in our self-discovery and our self-expression. But as younger brothers, we're just in rebellion, and it's rebellion that's masquerading as a desire for independence or self-sufficiency. As elder brothers, our mistrust towards God causes us to want to find our self-identity and our worth through our accomplishment, to our sense of superiority, upholding order to be in control. But as elder brothers, we are in rebellion, masquerading as obedience. The gospel changes the hearts of both younger and elder brothers by demonstrating that the selfless love of Jesus heals our rebellious hearts and affirms us as sons withstanding, loved by our heavenly Father. We no longer need to strive to create our own self-worth. We can rest in the truth that our worth came at infinite cost to Jesus. As a result, we can be free to be true elder brothers and demonstrate selfless love that flows out of a heart changed by the gospel. And this brings me to my third and final point, the implications of this life change, the implications of this gospel selfless love. So here at Metro Presbyterian Church, We are in Philadelphia, for Philadelphia. I've been here myself now for going on seven years, and it's a city that I've come to consider home. It's a city that I've come to love, and it's a city that I want to continue to care for. And what I've learned is that this, you know, the nickname of the city, obviously, is the city of brotherly love. But I've learned that its motto is actually Philadelphia Maneto. Yes, it's Greek. (laughs) And it comes from the Bible. It's Hebrews 13.1. And it's often translated, let brotherly love continue. Or to put it another way, keep on loving each other as brothers. If we're left on our own, younger brothers will continue to live it up with their fellow younger brothers. Elder brothers will only seek to find fellow elder brothers. And they'll hold each other in contempt and judge each other. One being the hedonist judging the legalist. The legalist judging the hedonist for not living up. Left on our own, we'll utterly fail in this biblical command to keep on loving each other as brothers because we'll only stick to our own kind and reject those who are not like us. 
but by embracing the good news of the gospel, which is given to us freely and through grace. Letting the gospel expose the depths of our waywardness and letting the gospel change in what we glory in, what we place our lives in. We live life together as a community, a community of the lost and the found that embraces the truth that the gospel changes everything. As the gospel changes everything in our midst, we continue to be a community that knows and experiences the gracious heart of the Father, the sacrificial love of the true elder brother, so that we can turn from our self-centeredness, from our waywardness, and keep on loving each other as brothers. Isaac Newton was an infamous slave trader several centuries ago, and after experiencing the gospel and the freedom from the go- in the gospel, he penned the words to that famous hymn, Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Being found is cause for celebration, for song, for music, for celebration in both heaven and on earth. Jesus told the parable of the lost sons in the context of the two other parables I mentioned earlier. And we see at the end of each of these parables, rejoicing. In verse 3, we hear, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. And in verse 9, we see, rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. And in verse 23, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So as we consider the cost that our true elder brother Jesus paid on the cross so that we could be found and brought into the Father's feast, let that truth and his presence in our lives give you courage and the urgency to go, to search, and to invite lost brothers far and near. And in that way, we rejoice with the Father and we're transformed by the sacrificial love of our true elder brother. Let's keep on loving each other as brothers. Let me pray.